Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Many of you have come along in the last couple of years. You've never heard us talk about a a theology of money and a theology of wealth and giving. And so we had a conversation among the leadership team and we thought, you know what, it's actually, it's time. It's time to just like see if we can dispel some of the anxiety and fear and stress that comes around money for some Christians. We do want you to know, like, we are not as a church, we're not struggling financially. Okay. That's not why we're doing this. We are not about to begin a building project. Okay. That's not why we're doing this. You're not going to hear me drop quotes from like Creflo Dollar or some like any prosperity preachers. We do believe that this is important. We believe that this is part of discipleship. Okay. Because some of the people who are greedy, some of the people who are actually greedy don't think that they are. That's kind of how greed works. Greed is a tricky kind of sin because most of the time, if we're greedy, we don't think we are. We have reasons for what we spend and for what we keep. And if somebody asks us about our giving, we might get super defensive and be like, that's none of your business. This is my money and and I've got my reasons for what I spend and I've got my reasons for what I keep. I need it, but out. And there are other people who need to hear a a conversation like this because maybe you're not greedy, okay? Maybe you've been actually super generous and yet you're still really anxious talking about money because the worst thing in the world for you would be to be identified as somebody who is greedy. And if somebody were to ask you about money, that would just be the worst thing in the world. You'd become super stressed and anxious and terrified. Money is is a discipleship matter. Don't you think? A conversation like this is necessary every once in a while. And to begin, I'd like to share some assumptions. I think it's really helpful when we're having a conversation about something that's really sensitive. It's really helpful to begin by naming some of our assumptions, okay? And and the reason we do that is because often we don't realize that we assume these things. They're just these ideas and things that we bring to the conversation so that before we even look at what scripture has, our minds are already made up because we've got these assumptions. And so it's helpful to name those out the gate. So first of all, you might assume you might assume that money is inherently evil. You might assume that. I'm not saying you're right or wrong yet, but that might be an assumption that you bring to a conversation about money. You might assume that rich people are smarter than poor people, and that's why they're rich. Like they've figured it out. They've cracked the code. This one just came to me. You might assume that only rich people are greedy. Like that, that the poor are incapable of being greedy or materialistic because they're poor. You might assume that. Again, I'm not saying you're right or wrong. I'm just saying that's an example of an assumption that we bring to a conversation about money. You might assume that the more that you've saved, the more protected you are from danger, from the bad stuff that can happen. The more money you've got, the more safe and and protected you are. Nothing can get you because you've got so much savings. You might assume that the more you have, the more money you spend on stuff, the more you will enjoy your life. You might assume that. You might assume that churches only talk about money when they're struggling financially. You might assume that if you're part of a church community and you're giving a lot of your time and you're giving a lot of your talent already, then you can't also be expected to give financially. I think many of us make the assumption that money is more complicated today than it was in Jesus' day. And for that reason, a lot of what Scripture says about money doesn't actually apply. 
think a lot of people assume that. I think we assume also that if we don't give, it's it's not really a big deal because somebody else will. I think some of us assume that. I think it's easy to assume that if you don't give to your church, nobody's going to know because your giving is anonymous. That's an assumption. I think it's also assumed sometimes that if we were greedy, if we were materialistic, we would totally know it. Now, as I went through that list of assumptions, just pausing here for a second, as I went through that list of assumptions, how many of you were like, yeah, I actually heard one or two or more things that I actually think. How many of you, how many of you feel that as you went, as we went through the list, you're like, oh yeah, I actually, I actually realized that that's an assumption that I make. I don't know where that came from. Well, that's good. That's a really good thing to do. That's a really good way to begin a conversation about money because we have all internalized all kinds of ideas about money so that before we ever even get to the scripture, we already have our minds made up. And it seems to me the worst thing that we could do in a conversation about something as sensitive as money is to fail to name our assumptions, to fail to put our assumptions on the table and challenge them, allow them to be challenged by scripture. It's, it's good to do that every once in a while with all kinds of subjects, and, and money is certainly no exception. I actually think if we let scripture be our starting point, Okay, if we let scripture be our starting point, it's going to correct and challenge a lot of those assumptions that we heard. You might not be surprised to know that scripture has a ton to say about money. Okay, a ton to say. Let me just share some familiar uh, some familiar passages on money. For example, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he goes on and he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm sure most of you have have heard that. That's familiar. Jesus says also a little bit later, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In Mark 10, Jesus says it's easier to to get a camel through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. In Luke 16, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And this last one in Acts chapter 20, we read, it's more blessed to give than to receive. See, we could go on and on and on. Scripture is full of teachings about money, okay? Out of about 30 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them are about money and and greed and giving. Something like one in 10 verses in the New Testament has to deal with money and greed and giving. So in other words, just in terms of just bandwidth, God really seems to care how we relate to money. You with me so far? So this is an important conversation. Don Whitney is a a theologian and and an author, and he, he wrote a book on spiritual disciplines, and in it he lists financial giving right alongside other spiritual disciplines like Bible study and prayer and fasting and says the use of your money and how you give it is one of the best ways of evaluating your relationship with Christ and your spiritual trustworthiness. If you love Christ with all your heart, your giving will reflect that. If you love Christ and the work of his kingdom more than anything else, your giving will show that. Now, I actually believe that's true. I don't, I don't know about you. I, I believe that that's true. I believe that whatever we decide 
as a church, as a, as a community, whatever we say, whatever we decide about giving and about keeping, whatever we decide, it needs to be informed by our view of Jesus. If it's not informed by the gospel, then it's just going to be guilt or threats or judgment or just more bad assumptions. And so today what I'm asking, like, how would we know if we were greedy? Okay, how would we know if we're greedy and how do we stop? So a couple of passages we're going to go through together. The first one, if you'll come back with me to Luke chapter 12, this is called the parable of the rich fool. Now, just by way of setup, we're in a situation where Jesus uh, is face to face with this guy who says, Jesus, my dad died and my brother won't split the inheritance equally with me. So why don't you make him do it? Why don't you talk some sense into my brother so he'll split the inheritance with me? In other words, Jesus is confronted by a guy who he believes that he's entitled to more than he has. And he wants Jesus to fix it. You with me on that? So that's the setup. Now, he believes if he can just get what he's owed, all of his problems will go away. Jesus knows that that's wrong. Jesus knows that life isn't about the abundance of our possessions. And he, he tells this story in order to make the point clear. Okay, he tells him this story. So you've got this farmer, and a farmer has a great harvest, totally scores. One year, something goes right, and he, all of a sudden, he is rich, and he's got more grain than he could ever fit into his barn, more grain than he could ever eat in years. He's got way more than he needs. In fact, he's got enough grain that he could feed the town if he wanted to. Now, what's he going to do with it? He says, in verse 19, he wants to take life easy, eat and drink and be merry. So this harvest for him, this wealth that he's just found, it's a <clears throat> it's the ticket to like an easy, comfortable life. Okay? That's where he's at. He's just going to build some bigger barns so that he can contain it. He's going to build himself like the Trump Tower of barns so that he can fill these things with, with grain and he'll never need to work again. And everybody's going to look at this guy and, he's, and they'll be super jealous. And that's, for him, that's the good life. What he doesn't know is that his time is up. And Jesus says in verse 20 that God speaks up and says, you fool, like your time is up. You're, tonight, your life is going to be demanded of you. And then whose is all of this stuff going to be? You're a fool. You're a fool. Now, why is he a fool? He's a fool because he's going to go to all this trouble. He's going to spend a fortune accumulating these comforts and these toys and these possessions and he's going to spare no expense on himself, and he's not going to be around to enjoy it. And for that, he's a fool. And there's a lot of things that we could say about this parable, but the point here is that there are a lot of people who understand the good life in terms of the stuff that we've accumulated, the possessions, the wealth, the properties, the vehicles, all of that stuff, if we accumulate it, that's the good life. And Jesus says, no. Because your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. He says that's foolish. Like, not only is that wrong, not only is it like incorrect, it's foolish. Now, I think most of us, we kind of get that side of greed. When we talk about greed, that's kind of what comes immediately to mind. But there's another side of greed. And so for, for this, I'm going to invite you to come with me to Mark chapter 12. Okay, in Mark chapter 12, this is the story of the poor widow and her offering. Now, this isn't a parable, okay? This one isn't a parable. This is a real-life event that Jesus, that Jesus witnesses. 
he and his disciples are there in the temple and they're watching this story unfold and Jesus decides to make it into a teachable moment with him with his disciples. Now it's helpful to know that this space that they're in right now it's called it's the temple treasury, okay? There's this uh, there's this row of like 12 or 13 giant chests and each chest has a, a great big wide mouth at the top and it comes down to a narrow bottom and ends in this this chest, this wood chest. The idea is that people would line up and they would walk through the temple treasury and they would drop their offering into this chest. Like as you walk by the trumpets, you drop your offering into these into these one of these trumpets and you'd hear this great big sound and the sound of all of these offerings landing in the chest, you know, clanging off of the trumpet, landing in the chest, that would glorify God. And so the the rich people pass by and in verse 41, they throw in their large amounts, okay? And you can imagine as they do that, as they throw in their large amounts, there's this like whoosh of change. Think of like the slot machines at a, at a casino or something like that when somebody strikes it rich and there's just, just a ton of coins clanging together and landing in, in their hands. That's the sound of it when a rich person makes their offering into one of these uh, chests. You can imagine that. It would be pretty amazing. People would be pretty impressed. That's a pretty special person. That's a pretty important person. Oh, they've been so generous. What an amazing, generous soul. And then comes the poor widow. Because imagine, she's in line behind them. She makes her little offering. And instead of this giant whoosh of, of the coins, you've just this, got this tiny little clink, 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 clink of two tiny little copper coins as they land in the chest. I bet it turned a few heads, you know? I bet people heard and they stopped and they paid attention and maybe a few eye rolls. And yet in verse 44, Jesus says something radical about her gift. He says, she put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You understand, Jesus is saying she gave more. And we're like, how does that work? How does that math work? Well, it works because we have to compare her offering with theirs. Because it's not just about how much goes into the chest. It's also about what stays in their pockets. Okay? It's not just about what they give. It's also about what they keep. Because the rich people's offering costs, costs them almost nothing. They can dump this bag of coins into the treasury and not really feel it. On the other hand, for this widow to make her offering, it's like, that's all she's got. The calculation in her mind when she makes this offering is like, hmm, do I give God this money or do I eat today? Like, do I put this money into the treasury or do I have shoes to wear and walk home? That's who we're talking about. When she's done giving, all of her wealth is in the treasury. When they're done giving, almost all of their wealth is still at home. When she's done giving, her money is in God's hands. She has put her money in God's hands because she believes that that's where it's safest. That's where it can do the most good. The others, they left most of their money at home because that they believe that's where it's safest. And that's where it can do the most good. And so Jesus is making a point by comparing the poor widow with these rich givers. And he's saying, don't be so impressed with appearances. 
Yes, it matters what we give away, but what matters just as much, if not more, is what we keep. You with me on that? What matters just as much as, if not more, is what we keep. Now, there's a, a pastor and an author named Randy Alcorn. He wrote an amazing book on this called The Treasure Principle. Highly recommend it. Randy Alcorn says in, the, in his book, he says, God comes right out and he tells us why he gives us more money than we need. It's not so that we can find more ways to spend it. It's not so we can indulge ourselves and spoil our children. It's not so we can insulate ourselves from needing God's provision. It's so we can give generously. And he asks, when you leave this world, will you be known as one who accumulated treasures on earth that you couldn't keep? Or will you be recognized as one who invested treasures in heaven that you couldn't lose? Let me read that again. When you leave this world, will you be known as one who accumulated treasures on earth that you couldn't keep? Or will you be recognized as one who invested treasures in heaven that you couldn't lose? something to think about you know how do we overcome greed how do we overcome greed what's what are we going to have to do like how how poor do we have to be in order to no longer be greedy and i would say it doesn't actually work that way okay it doesn't work that way there's actually a warning in these stories see back in luke 12 we saw that when the rich fool planned to use his money on himself. He was going to eat and drink and be merry. And we thought that's greed. Like that's easy to see that that's just greed. He's using, he's, he's spending more than he needs on himself. He's keeping it all. He's spending it all on these pleasures. We know that that's greed. Okay. But in the other story, the greed of the religious leaders doesn't look like greed. It doesn't look like it. And that's the problem. And that's sometimes the danger with greed. It seems to me all of us are going to be tempted to spend all of our money on ourselves. And yes, that's greed. But some of us are going to be tempted to keep our money to ourselves. We will keep far more than we need. And a lot of us, a lot of folks are going to look at us and they're going to say, oh, he is so good with money. Oh, she is so generous. Or, oh, she is so frugal. But the truth might actually be that we're just, we're, fearful we're faithless and i would just say these are just two different ways to be greedy these are two different people who are who are equally controlled by their money clearly there's not just one way to be greedy but there's two there's not just one way to be greedy there's two because greed doesn't always look like greed and, and i think that is why scripture has so much to say about it that's why it's so much that's why it's so important for us to have a conversation about money every once in a while. It's because the opposite of a greedy materialistic person isn't a nun or a monk who cloisters themselves in some castle somewhere and owns nothing. That's not the solution. Like just so you know, lots of poor folks still struggle with greed and materialism just as much if not more. Lots of poor folks will be hoarders and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll steal, not all of them, certainly, but many will, because money is a powerful idol. Yo, money is a powerful idol, whether you are rich or poor. And so the solution to greed isn't poverty, it's generosity. 
Let me say that again. The solution, the alternative to greed isn't poverty, it's generosity. So how will I know if I'm greedy or if I'm generous? Let me say a couple things here. Uh, I, I think I can say that if we're greedy and materialistic, if that's if that's who we are, if that's what we're like, we can expect almost nobody to notice. Okay? If we're greedy or materialistic, we're going to have all the same goals, all the same dreams as the rest of the world. If we're greedy, we're going to measure our success and our, and our wealth. We're going to measure it all just exactly the same ways that the world does. We're going to look at those who give generously and who give sacrificially and be like, that's crazy, man. Like, that's just irresponsible. Like, do you realize what you what you could be doing with all of that? That's just irresponsible. If we're greedy and materialistic, we might even be giving kind of a token amount to kind of soothe our conscience. And we might give this token amount here and there, but we will, but we will still be as comfortable or we will still be as saved by our money as those who don't follow Jesus. On the other hand, if we're being generous, when we're being generous, I think that we're going to know it because we'll be giving in ways that the world thinks is crazy. We're going to be giving in ways and perhaps in amounts that the world thinks is crazy. It's going to cost us something. Okay, It's going to make an impact. We're going to feel it. I'd say it this way. We will know that we're giving generously and sacrificially when our standard of giving has an impact on our standard of living. Okay, Let me say that again. We're going to know that we're giving generously and sacrificially when our standard of giving has an impact on our standard of living. Okay? Now, I did some research online recently. Uh, you, you guys, some of you might have heard of groups like the Fraser Institute or Canada Helps. Certainly, you've, you're familiar with that because that's where we do our giving. They do studies in, in charitable giving in Canada, and they've been doing that for years. They release reports about it. Uh, I came across the 2020, 2021, 2022 reports, and uh, it showed some interesting trends uh, about Canadian giving. And I thought this would be helpful and interesting to, to share. Now, this includes religious giving, but it's not limited to all of that. So you might think, hey, we're Canadians, we're also Christians, we're super generous, and, and I just want to share with you some of the things that I learned. For example, in 2020, only 19% of Canadians gave anything to a charity. Okay, Only 19% of Canadians gave any money to a charity in 2020. When they gave, uh, the average Canadian's giving in 2020 worked out to be less than half of a percent of their income, of their total income. Okay. The that means do you understand what I'm saying there? Then what they gave was worked out to be on average less than a percent, 0.49%, I think, was the number of their total income. That was the average gift. Here's this one's for you, uh, millennials and Gen Z, okay? Uh, of all the charitable giving that was done in Canada in 2020. Those between the ages of 25 and 30 gave less than 12% of it, right? This is for you older millennials and, and Gen Xers like me. This is for people between the ages of 35 and 54. Our share of the charitable giving that happened in Canada in 2020 was 19%. Now listen to this. In 2022, this is last year. Uh, Canada Helps releases data about the sources of the giving. So one of those sources was what we might call downtown donors, urban, uh, you know, folks living in a city where there's a lot of density. And, and so downtown donors in Canada donated on average 
$521 per household. Okay, that's what it works out to on average for, for downtown donors. Now, the same year, folks that you might call wealthy families donated on average $562, which is only about $40 more than downtown donors. Folks, that's where we are, okay? That's what's that's normal. That's the landscape when it comes to giving right now. On the other hand, I remember a few years back, it was early 2017, and we had just gotten started this thing. And we were five families, mostly millennials. I got connected with a guy who was really struggling. I had a coffee with this guy. His name was, I'll call him Marcus. And he was struggling to pay his bills, struggling to care for his son. And he couldn't afford the fee to renew his welder's license. And so he couldn't work. And he was just super embarrassed to ask for help. When we were done, I said, you know, listen, I can't promise anything, but what if I take it back, this back to some of my church friends and we'll see what we can do. Is that okay with you? He's like, sure. I, I mean, I mean, that would be amazing, but I don't expect anything. Well, here's what happened. And I mean, some of you guys were there in those days. All right. So you, you might remember this story. Maybe not. Maybe it's, maybe you've forgotten, but you gave. And we were able to get Marcus some, some safety boots. We got him his welding ticket. Like he was able to get his welding ticket. He, he was able to get a job. He got back into the welders union. He was able to work and look after his kid. He was super grateful. And here's the thing. None of you even met him. Like for all you know, I just made it up. You didn't know whether I was telling the truth or not, you, but you gave. You were generous with your giving. Besides, according to the stats, millennials don't give. Millennials are, are supposed to, supposedly, by the stereotypes, millennials are the most selfish uh, and, and greedy and materialistic generation. And so nobody was expecting you to give, except you did. And a family's life was changed. And we blessed them. And I think God blessed us too. And here we are a few years later, okay? And God is still blessing. Now, let me say a word about the, the community that we're part of right now, okay? Let me give you a little snapshot. Because in the last month, we hired a worship director, all right? Uh, we bought some resources for kids space. We, uh, we paid the rent on this building. We paid a pastor, whether or not that was a good idea. I don't, I don't know. But we have a, a full-time pastor on staff. That's part of our cost. Uh, in the last month, we bought a whole bunch of art and we put it on display and we opened up the building. And on Good Friday, we had about 100 people who came, in, came through here and had some time for contemplative prayer. We're making some improvements to our sound system so that people can be heard clearly. We're, making so, we're spending some money to improve that. We're spending on some money in order to make a garden happen. And, and, and Rebecca's done an amazing job with this project that allows us to bless our neighbors. We give to local missionaries. We give to True City. And we give to, to uh, help with church planting in Canada. And all we could go on and on. But all these years later, our church has changed. Okay, the faces have changed, the size of the church, the shape of the church has changed, our community has changed, some of our leaders have even changed, but what has not changed is the need to give. What has not changed is the opportunity that we have to see the money that we give, the money that we put into God's treasury, do a lot of good. That opportunity remains the same. I don't know if you know this or not, half of church plants don't make it to year five. Okay, we're heading into year six. We're at, the, we're at the top of year six here. And you sometimes wonder, like, what is going on? What is the, how do you explain this? 
well, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know what we're doing right. I do know that you guys have been generous. I know that this only happens if God's people are generous and sacrificial. I know that this only happens if God's people look at their income, they look at their statements, they look at their pay stubs or whatever, and they say, I actually don't need all of this. I actually don't need all of this to live on. It's actually safer in his treasury than in, in mine. And so I'm going to keep what I need and I'm going to give the rest away. Now, I don't know who's doing that and who isn't, but I know that some of you are. And that's generosity. And it sounds crazy. I, I totally get that. It sounds crazy. It makes no sense unless the gospel is true. It makes no sense except for Jesus. Because let me remind you about this. Okay? Christianity says that when Jesus came, he knew that he was equal with God. He had all of the power and all of the glory and all the wealth of being God. And he set it aside in order to become human and suffer and die for us. And he didn't consider that a ripoff. He didn't consider that like a bad deal. He didn't consider it something to be grasped, to hold on to all of that stuff. He gave it away, and his grace comes to us. Okay? Then in 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and it's a church of people just like us, people who are pulled in all kinds of directions, just as busy, just as stressed, just as tempted by greed, and he wants to motivate them to be generous. Well, how's he going to do that? Not with threats, not, no coercion, no guilting. What he does is he reminds them about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Listen, when we believe that we have everything that we need in Jesus, our possessions don't own us, okay? When we believe that we are held tight by Jesus, what we own doesn't own us. When we believe that we have everything that we need in Christ, our savings don't save us. I hope you know that this morning. Then that, that greed's power through Jesus, greed's power is broken. We just need to live like it. And we're working on this. We're learning. I'm learning. But I do know that we are only going to get this freedom and victory when we are living and giving generously. Okay? Like until we are practicing this, the kind of generosity that we see in this poor widow, the kind of generosity that's demonstrated for us by Jesus, we're not going to really know for sure how rich we are in Jesus. Okay? I am not saying give so that Jesus can make you rich. That's not what I'm saying. But imagine no longer worrying about money. Imagine not being controlled by it. Imagine no longer needing your savings to know that you are safe. Okay? Imagine no longer depending on your money to define you. Okay? Imagine a church full of people like that. Imagine coming to church and knowing that the people that you're doing community with are free, have been set free from greed. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that change everything? And it is as close as the choice to be generous and not greedy. And so for that reason, Scripture says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.